When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Larry H. Russell. Thank you for downloading another edition of Celtics Beat. Today's episode is being brought to you by our sponsors, the home of online video tutorials, lynda.com and Casper. Casper's mattresses are premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. And to get $50 off any mattress purchase at casper.com, visit casper.com slash Celtics and enter promo code Celtics. Hey there, thank you once again for downloading another edition of our show. This is Celtics Beat being brought to you by Linda and Casper. And I am Larry H. Russell, back from a long hiatus. All of one week, thank you, Rich Conti and Jared Weiss for playing the role of Super Subs, Bullpen Relief, Glenn McDonald. They had a great show last week. If you missed it and want to check it out, log on to our iTunes channel as well as Stitcher. Search Celtics Beat. You'll find it, but right now it's about today, whenever today may be for you. But for me, it's Sunday, July 19th, 2015. Summer is motoring right along, and there's still plenty of basketball to talk about, plenty of comings and goings in and around the NBA. I was off last week, so I obviously really want to get my take on the DeAndre Jordan situation. So to do so, the man we have here to discuss that, along with some other pressing NBA topics, great friend of the show, former NBA veteran, Clippers color commentator, and scratch golfer Michael Smith. He'll be stopping by a little later to discuss, of course, that. But the Boston Celtics still churning out some intrigue here as we skate along this offseason. Danny Ainge still dotting the I's and crossing the T's on the roster situation, and it is a situation to say the least. Another week, another trade. Last week, the Celtics picked up a veteran. A little different this week. Took another flyer on a young player, Steve Bulpett. He of the Boston Herald Pearl. Earlier in the week, the Celtics had acquired Perry Jones III and a second-round draft choice from Oklahoma City for what amounted to little more than a trade exception. Okay, so thoughts on Perry Jones. Everyone seems to be very, very happy about this trade. A lot of people say, yay, it's like acquiring a player who could amount to something for nothing. What is there to lose? Well, guess what? I'm not as thrilled as many others are. Obviously, as soon as this news broke back on Tuesday, you heard a lot of fans' reaction on Twitter saying this was the guy the Celtics should have picked back when they had the two first-round draft selections in what we all felt was a pretty deep draft back then. Sorry, have to pat myself on the back once again for being a Draymond Green guy, but there were a lot of Perry Jones people, and Boston infamously threw away a first-round draft pick on Fab Mello, but the Celtics take a flyer on him now. 
Young athletic stretch big has shown flashes, emphasis on flashes in his three seasons in the league. He has the tools, the physical abilities, but we know that can not matter that much as it can amount to nothing. But Boston takes a chance on him, which is good, I guess. I complained a lot last year about a bloated roster filled with interchangeable parts and no fixed roles. Once that got settled down, the team played much better. So I do worry this year that we could see the same thing going into this season. No players with set roles, bunch of guys. Competition can be good. It can push other players. But I think that works when it's more in line with certain players rather than the whole team, i.e. pushing one player at one position, not just mud against the wall. And then it's like, uh, yeah, guys, uh, play ball. I thought we already saw that last year produce negative results in November and December. While it was a good season, be it the 2015 Celtics, I thought one of the down points from last year was that there was negligible improvement from certain young players on the team. Yes, you saw an increase in team spirit and morale and guys like Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder coming over and carving out roles for themselves all while putting and instilling certain positive attitudes and intangibles into the collective unit. But in terms of individual gains, particularly from players, fans, and I like to think that was one area where the 2000 campaign was a bit of a letdown and some of it, a little of it, I think can at least be attributed to this mantra that management seems to have of just taking all these flyers on guys. I think you can only take so many. There has to be some commitments to certain players, even if that player isn't as capable as I think or we think they are. Because in all honesty, is a Perry Jones, even if he does develop, which I think the odds are minimal at best, is he really someone who is going to change the fortunes of this franchise? No. At best, and I mean at best, he becomes a trade chip, which at the end of the day is no different than what this whole team is right now with all of its draft choices and, once again, B-minus, C-plus players on the roster. So I actually have to give a big nay vote on the trade, believe it or not. I am hoping that these moves that will be made the rest of the summer and in these few weeks that we have here as we head into August, believe it or not, Summer really is rolling along if we talk about August like it's right around the corner as it is. But I'm hoping the remaining moves this team makes will now be more team-building moves and roster-shaping moves rather than this endless quest of accumulating every possible piece of value. Make the right investments. Buy the right stocks and be shrewd with it. Don't try to accumulate wealth where you can just pick pennies off the ground, and turn in soda cans. Invest in something to an extent and run with it. I'm on this show every week talking about options and flexibility, and I agree with it. I agree with what the Celtics are doing, and I've preached it when a lot of people do get upset when certain things aren't going certain ways. But it's to an extent as well. I certainly don't want to see the Celtics selling their souls and appeasing the screamers in the media and make trades to slightly improve the roster just for the sake of making moves. They should cherish that flexibility and strike when the time is right. And we all know that's what they're going to do. And I'm even more happy that the franchise won't be taking its viewers and fans on Armenian death marches through the Turkish and Arabian deserts to get to that point where we all like to think that there'd be a product we can all enjoy in the meantime. But I will continue to stand by this. I said it last year, and I will say it this year. It's utterly counterproductive to amass a roster like this. 
thinking that all these guys were just playing some odds game, that one of them will stick, a few of them will work out, and they could become trade chips. I really do. I think building something here and continuing that momentum from last season and winning some games next year, hopefully more games than they lose, will make these players that are actually on the roster right now, particularly the players that we know that we are talking about, make them look more attractive from the outside, as well as create a superior environment for them to develop. It's all about identifying the right ones, and sometimes even if they are not the right ones, because I think that is the case to you know a point on this roster, and I know what the players we are. But there are guys that can aid the cause anyways. You know, a guy like a Phil Pressy, who is now no longer in a Celtics uniform, someone who knows his role and situation, is happy with it. Sure, he's not going to amount to anything individually, but I think that holds more value than instead of telling Perry Jones, yeah, come on in here and uh, see what you can do, kid. He who played alongside Kevin Durant every year he's been in the league to develop, now he's going to do it here? I mean, I just... I find that questionable at best. And if this team wants to get players be more attractive in trades, it'd just be better to stick with what they got unless they have an opportunity to add not even a game-changing player, but a player worth our time. And sadly, I just don't see that in Perry Jones. It would have to be a player better than what's on the roster, i.e., you know, a player almost better than a Jared Zollinger or a Kelly Olenek. And we, we know Perry Jones is not that. So all it does is just congest the roster, cost ownership a couple million dollars. Personally, I think if you want to take a roll of dice on a stretch four, it just makes sense to do so on a guy like a Jonathan Holmes who's earning his keep in Summer League, which, as we know, is still going on and is set to wrap up all Summer League. But the last one, the Vegas Summer League, set to wrap up in Vegas tomorrow, being Monday, the 20th. And there has been interest there, as there is every year amongst younger players, particularly when the you know, team takes four of them in the draft, which was another qualm of mine. Yes, I'm on that roster congestion theme. And I know I heard Cedric Maxwell back on Comcast Sportsnet earlier in the week talk about how some were upset about too many guards on the roster, too many stretch fours, etc. And to wait and listen, nobody preaches patience more than me amongst fans, but this was sort of the same issue as last year too. So I actually... I don't have faith that they'll get this sorted out in these final few weeks of July and a bit of August before camp because judging from what happened last year around this time and even going into the winter months, judging from quotes I've read from team officials and various outlets, it seems that, once again, they're going to roll with this. And speaking of qualms of mind, can portions of the media stop overanalyzing every single small, minute move? such as Perry Jones, actually, which, you know, I just did well, to an extent, because it was regarding a position I had, but the draft, the four picks, the David Lee trade, and now this, what I actually consider to be all minute moves, why does it always lead people who follow this team from a professional or to a fan standpoint to say, oh, clearly this is a precursor to another big move with this ridiculous expectation that Danny Ainge is going to pull off some blockbuster trade within the next 10 minutes. We saw it with the draft. We saw it with Perry Jones. Yeah, yeah, this is going. This could be the precursor to a much larger move. I mean, I guess, but unfortunately, no, it doesn't. And with how late we're getting into the summer now, and yes, granted, you point to 2007 and the Kevin Garnett deal. That stuff did go down at the end of July. But it's safe to say no major moves are going to transpire the rest of this offseason now. So I don't know why this leads one to believe otherwise. Maybe because it's one's intuitions and emotions that lead them so 
almost as if they are wishing for it. Either way, it's a little silly to draw these conclusions. I just think that we have to take these transactions that have been made over these last couple weeks, be it the signing of Amir Johnson, the trade for David Lee, and now this trade here for Perry Jones, and obviously going back to the draft. Take it for what they are. Take them all on face value. Danny Ainge trying to improve the team, improve the talent pool, comma, in his mind, comma, all while, God, I hate saying this phrase now, maintaining the team's flexibility to make that transformative move or moves. I agree with the premise. I don't agree with the message, as I have explained. I will preach and, and talk about people being patient all the time, and I will criticize those who are impatient during all of this and want to see these big moves being made right now, be it media or fans. But I'm not going to lie. I mean, as I discussed earlier, I am slightly disappointed in the method because I thought lessons were learned or should have been learned last year. And if we're going to sort of wonder, which I am, especially at this time of year, especially on this show, I do wonder where Brad Stevens' thoughts are in all of this. I actually cannot imagine he's, you know, too thrilled. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. Maybe he's. But I just can't imagine, or at least if I was in his position, I can't imagine he's been all too pleased with once again having to juggle a cast of mediocre to good players. And I read these quotes, and they're all cliche one liners. Well, competition is a good thing, blah, 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 blah. You know it was as clear as an Alaskan blue sky that he was far more thoroughly involved and enjoyed it much more when he had an actual rotation that was laid out in front of him and bodies he could go to rather than this babysitting, whatever you want to call it. There are six weeks, seven weeks and change left before camp to round out this roster a bit. So who knows, maybe there was going to be some sanity, some sensibility. Maybe Perry Jones is going to be offered in some sort of package to upgrade at another position, possibly at a forward on the wing. You heard Steve Bullpett, the guy who broke the Jones trade, throw Gallinari's name around there this past week as well as a possible target for the Celtics in a trade. Could that be something? Well, even Steve said via his Twitter account that's up in the air. So there's a lot of talk, and I figured there be so until we see a little more semblance for the Celtics roster situation here but I kind of shared my feelings on the Jones trade and some of the other moves so of course now it's time to ask the audience reached question of the day presented by Casper Casper's mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress using two technologies latex and memory foam which come together for better nights and brighter days it's a comfortable mattress that has just the right sink and bounce a Casper mattress provides long-lasting comfort and you can buy it easily online and completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period, so you don't have to lie down in a showroom. Get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin, $950 for a king-size mattress, and you can save an additional $50 as one of our audience members by going to casper.com slash Celtics and entering the promo code Celtics. So, Celtics beat audience, do you approve of the Perry Jones trade, yay or nay? I think I threw a pretty big nay in there, but just head on over to, again, R-E-A-C-H-T-A-P-P.com slash CLNS or grab the link. And feel free to contribute to the discussion over on our Facebook group, Facebook.com slash Celticsbeat. actually have to uh, get to a point that was brought up in our Facebook group and from one other, no other, the one and only Rich Conti, who did co-host last week's show with Jared Weiss, and he talked about how it was a risk-free move. Well, 
I gave my reasons above as to why I think the move hurts the overall collective of the team. He also brought up a few other reasons as well, directed to me, actually, so I'll respond to Rich while being on the show, and one being that improving the back end of the roster is not mutually exclusive with improving the top end. That's something that takes a backseat in my eyes when the top end of the roster is virtually the same talent-wise as the back end. There's minimal separation between the 15 guys on this team. So yes, in that sense, Rich, it is and should be mutually exclusive with improving the top end because it's unnecessary, it's pointless, and it is a waste of time at best while being detrimental at worst by trying to improve the 12 to 15 slots on your roster when the 1 to 3 guys haven't even been identified yet. And he, along with many others in the Facebook group, talked about how it was risk-free, and if it doesn't work, just dump them. But there comes a point in time when there shouldn't be any focus whatsoever on these risk-free flyer moves. It shouldn't be like building how Dan Duquette used to build a pitching staff by getting all these flyer guys, these Brett Saberhagens and these Ramon Martinez, Frank Castillo, and all these, you know, retreads that he would sign at minimum contracts or whatnot. Attention should be placed elsewhere, and then here and there you can, you know, go for these moves. But maybe I'm guilty here of speaking too much from an emotional perspective, upset that there was minimally accomplished this offseason, where at least so far there, at best, the team stood pat, on the team's future flexibility, which is a good thing, and where I'm overreacting to what really amounts to as non-moves, but this is the premise that I had last year, and I'm trying to remain consistent with it. It was my biggest fear going into last season. I thought those fears played out early on, and those fears proven to be prophetic as soon as there was some structure brought to the roster in January, and now we're back to that same point, and it still costs ownership. I, I feel for him. It's costing $3 million to pay Perry Jones to take a chance on Perry Jones, I know people will say, oh, it's not your money, but to me, that's just bad for business. $3 million for a player who's only had a few good games in his career, coupled with a second-round draft choice, which if you really want so badly to take a certain player, all that should really cost you is a few hundred thousand dollars if you really like a player. So it's not really a sound business decision. I'm sorry, but as I always say, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm entirely wrong. Maybe Jones is a washout and the sellers just cut their bait and continue to build a good culture here as they did so last season. And God forbid, maybe Jones actually amounts to something, but I had a premise regarding how I view this team in the present and how I view this team in the future. Last year, I will certainly stick with it, especially considering how last year went about and the acquisition of Jones is utterly repugnant of my belief, so I'm going to stick with it. And that's why I actually spent, oh God, however long I did discussing the 13th, 14th man on the roster because it may seem marginal from afar, and it very well could be, but it's a bigger deal in the broader scheme of things, the greater good, as I always like to say, in team building because, well, it just doesn't make any sense. But still time left in this offseason. Team is still fairly active from what we're seeing and what we are reading, so I highly doubt this will be the last week of roster discussion on CLNS Radio regarding the Boston Celtics. Going to move off the Celtics discussion. Still a lot happening in and around the NBA, especially with the whole DeAndre Jordan situation in Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, wherever that's going, wherever it was going down. Michael Smith, Los Angeles Clippers color man, will return to solid feet after the break. Hey, 
this is Nick Gelso, co-owner and founder of CLNS Radio. Today's podcast is brought to you by lynda.com. lynda.com is the home of expert video tutorials. Because you're such a loyal listener of CLNS Radio, and it's 2015, you want to kick the new year off in style, claim your free trial today from CLNS by going to lynda.com slash CLNS. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash CLNS. Are you looking to lose weight, burn fat, pack on muscle, or just live a healthier life by sleeping better and worrying less? Well, aren't we all? Unfortunately, we've spent years quibbling over phony studies, fad diets, and dangerous prescription drugs that have prevented us from living our lives to the fullest and have done more harm than good. But thankfully, science has prevailed, and we now know that there is no other way in achieving optimal health than by consuming what nature has to offer us in its purest form possible. Hi, I'm Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and critically acclaimed author of Fall of the Boston Celtics. And let me tell you about Dr. Ron's Ultra Pure Nutritionals. Dr. Ron's supplements are 100% additive-free, and best of all, they work. Dr. Ron's supplements are my personal go-to for anything from post-workout recovery to achieve optimal gains, all the way to stress management. So if you're not getting the results you want from maddening forms of dieting and dealing with adverse side effects from other harmful drugs, remember one thing. As Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And let Dr. Ron's ultra-pure nutritionals be the remedy for you. Available only at www.drrons.com. Thank you to our sponsors, and thank you for staying with us here on Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. It is interview time. Our interview with Michael Smith is brought to you by DraftKings. Baseball's in full swing, and you can be part of all the action all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments, just instant cash, instant gratification. Why wait until the end of the season to get paid when you can win huge prizes every day? At DraftKings, it's like a brand new season every time you play. Just pick two pitchers, pick eight position players, and pick up your cash. That's it. Ask Peter from Colorado. Last year, he won a million dollars in one day simply playing fantasy baseball at DraftKings. Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans, just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. New contests start daily, so hurry to DraftKings.com right now and use promo code New England to play for free in today's $10,000 fantasy baseball contest. DraftKings.com, official partner of Major League Baseball. Enter New England for free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. All right, Mike, welcome back on the Celtics Beat. Thanks, Larry. Nice to be with you. It really is great to have you back on. Well, we know where we're starting here, obviously, that DeAndre Jordan thing. It was sort of the story in the NBA last week. <laughs> we can get right. into the transpirings and why everyone is still talking about it, being it's, you know, it did happen 10 days ago now. But from a concrete standpoint, just sort of discuss what this does for the Clippers, along with some of their other offseason moves. Obviously, we know who they picked up, even Josh Smith as well. Where does this put them back in the NBA landscape here, particularly in the Western Conference? Well... How about the magic of Doc Rivers? I mean, 10 days ago, he's, you know, somebody who can't coach and GM at the same time. 
I'm sure all that was going to be questioned. And now he's going to be GM of the year, if not R.C. Buford again in San Antonio with, with what Doc's been able to do. Now you consider it, re-sign DeAndre Jordan, make a trade for Lance Stevenson. Not only make a trade for Lance Stevenson, but traded the Clippers two least productive players among their first eight in Spencer Hawes and Matt Barnes and, and a contract to Spencer Hawes they probably were going to regret based on how poorly he played a year ago. Uh, then they go out and get Wesley Johnson, which is kind of a freebie. And now to go out and get Josh Smith in addition to that, and, and I'm even forgetting Paul Pierce. I mean, the Clippers exactly. are now a, a deep, deep squad. Like last year, they had the most efficient starting five in the NBA. But you went one click to the bench, and it got bad in a hurry. And, I mean, really got bad. Now, there were people who played well in the playoffs, like Austin Rivers had a career playoff game in one of those series. And uh, Matt Barnes even had a good first round against San Antonio. And we know what happened to him in the second round. They collapsed and, you know, stopped playing to win and got a little tentative, and it, it caught him. But i got to believe, Larry, along with San Antonio, Golden State, they are one of the three best teams in basketball on paper. I mean, going into next season, uh, the East Coast people will say Cleveland's going to be great again, which is true. I think Miami's going to be good. Chicago's going to be good in the East. But I think those are the three best teams in basketball. And I haven't even mentioned Houston, who stayed the same, other than losing Josh Smith. Memphis basically stayed the same. And somebody else. Oklahoma City's healthy. That, that's a good basketball team. I mean, it's, it's always mind-boggling to me how the NBA is the most beautifully marketed industry in the world with regards to their timing. The moment the finals end, you got the draft. The draft concludes, you got a week, you got free agency. Free agency ends, and you got summer league. Summer league finishes, and basically, you got a month off, and you're getting after it. So. No wonder it's the fastest-growing sports industry in the world. And you haven't even mentioned the schedule release, and we kind of sort of laugh at it. Obviously, I, I do. I mean, you know, I am interested in when the schedule does come out because, you know, I, right. I'm one of those people who plans my life a little bit well ahead of time. But when this schedule does come out, whatever it may be, I think it's gonna probably going to be first week of August. I mean, it is going to be event, and we're going to be literally talking about the schedule for a week, certainly on this show as well, and that's going to be a big deal in itself as as well and you're right it's only going to be about three weeks where they're you know it's going to be a little quiet and that's fine you know that's what that's what yeah. Martha's Vineyard and Cape Cod's for and I just came back from NBA meetings there there were rumblings uh rumors mumblings whatever you want to call them that whether it starts this year or next year they're going to try and start sooner they're going to try and uh, extend the season by a week on the tail end, maybe increase it or start it sooner, two weeks on the front end, and try and eliminate like the four games in five nights and eliminate the majority of the back-to-backs. And, and you know, this Adam Silver guy, he's on top of it. He's kind of like, you know what, the, our players are our greatest asset. And we're going to keep them healthy. We're going to keep them playing hard and make them every night, you know, be able to put it, the most out for their fans. And so... There were rumblings of that. I don't know that that's going to happen immediately this year, but if it doesn't, I certainly think it would happen by the following season. I think that's probably almost surely going to happen with the new CBA. You know that's going to be something the league will 
probably give players. Me personally, I'm not sure I'd be a huge fan of that because I think the biggest weakness for the NBA is the regular season. And you see it with San Antonio every year. The regular season right now is too much of an extended preseason. And, uh, I mean, I'd like to see these regular season games matter a little more. And if you sort of stretch these games out even more, I think that could be, you know, a hindrance in itself. I personally would like to see less games and possibly even less playoff spots or a greater incentive for teams like getting like a first round bye or something or, or whatnot. So that would be something I would, you know, be a little concerned about if they do stretch the season out. No, those are all good thoughts. You know, I played in, I played in Europe. And in both the Spanish A-League and the Italian A-League, they had 20 teams. And the bottom two, if you finished 19th or 20th, you actually it was the bottom four. Go figure this. The bottom four who finished 17, 18, 19, and 20 have a little playoff series amongst themselves. I think 17 played 20 and 18 played 19 to determine which two teams would go down to the B-League and the two top teams from the B-League would climb up to the A-League. Or, I mean, I guess it's like the equivalent of the NBA and the the NBA D-League or something like that, or the CBA before it happened. But there's a a lower-level league, and the top two teams in that league get to climb up into the A-League, which meant more sponsorship, more television. And so there was no such thing as tanking. There was no such thing as that. I mean, you were playing every game like it mattered. And I wish there were there was some sort of a format that would work like that. And I wish also that they would seed the teams 1 through 16 regardless of conference. I know the, the purists and the historians would have a fit with that. But I just think with today's schedule and airplanes and, you know, you could even do the first rounds, the 2-3-2 two, two format or whatever, and just keep the semis and the finals, the 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, one, one. Uh, you could do that. That way you don't have the Clippers playing San Antonio in the first round last year, which was an epic series. And I thought, you know, the San Antonio went home. San Antonio probably would have given Golden State the best series last year, and they would have swept that Cleveland team. But they were sitting home. Well, that's because that's sort of my, my gripe is San Antonio plays the regular season. They really don't care. They sort of just cruise right along. They pick things up in March when they go out on that rodeo trip. Because they know that they're going to, you know, just be wherever in the postseason anyways. I think that if, you know, maybe you go back to that mini series that they had in the 80s with a first round. I know you're sacrificing gate money and everything and TV revenue. But if you go back to that mini series where if you're playing for things like a division championship equals a first round bye, then you're going to see San Antonio play, say, Dallas or Houston in the middle of February or whatever. And that's a game that's going to mean a lot more because it could decide a tiebreaker for winning a division or whatnot. And obviously, Popovich is so interested in resting players, he'd want to maybe skip like a first-round playoff series, as teams did back in the 70s and the 80s. As, you, know, the, you know, Lakers and the Celtics did not have to play first-round series back then because they would win their division. And that was actually the big thing. Philly and Boston, everybody remembers those great playoff games that they had, Mike. But there were these. Un- they had very good regular season games around like 80, 81, 82, because they mattered. You win the division, you skip. A, you know, you skip three games in the f- early first round, and you're you're rested for the second round of the conference finals. I think something like that. You know, and 
like I said, you're sacrificing gate money, but all the games in the five months leading up to the playoffs means infinitely more than they do now. Interesting. No, those are all good thoughts. I'm, that, that, that all just preceded me before I got into the league. But, yeah, uh, some of that we forget. I think it would be hard for them to go back on that. Uh, I think the league and the players' union bargained for that uh, when the players said, we want less of a training camp not a whole month of training camp. We want a week of training camp. And then the league came back and said, well, we want all playoff series to be seven games. That's the I, gate I, you're I, talking I about. That. I know. It, it squeezes a little so, money, you know. Anyway, I think the league is healthy. You've got great players. You've got great teams. I love the fact that Golden State won. Uh, and I love that they did it by, you know, being innovative. And Steve Kerr, a first-time coach. And, you know, they go from – passing the ball the fewest on their side of half court a year ago under Mark Jackson to passing the ball the most or the second most on their side of half court this year, and they walk away the world champs well, with, very, with very few personnel changes. I mean, just Sean Livingston, no. just Barbosa. I mean, it was basically the same group. Yeah, it was, it was basically almost none, and I was actually even going to ask you that regarding the Clippers. They made... Golden State, when I say they, I mean, they lost the Clippers in the first round last year. We're talking about an epic first-round playoff series, or two years ago, or 2014, whatever you right. want to call it. They lost. They made the coaching change, and they were in that, you know, middle of the West Pack, you know, anywhere between three to six. They're a per- perpetual very good team. Could you see that with the Clippers, where they're right now, they're good enough to kind of be in the mix? But could you see them make that Golden State leap where they're at the top of the conference and contending for truly contending for a championship next year? It's it's very interesting. They they are they're soured based on what happened last year and afflicted again, and they are going to have to get over that burden or that hurdle. That was kind of what was following this team and following a Chris Paul and a Blake Griffin is, okay, they cannot win a big one or they cannot get past them or they're going to choke. And if you really looked at the three previous years, not this year, but the three previous years, they basically threw away opportunities to do it. Um, I guess we could exclude the year they get swept by San Antonio. So that's going back four years maybe. But like up 2 all on Memphis and lose. Uh, two years ago, tied 2-2 with Oklahoma City and up nine in game five in Oklahoma with a minute 15 to go and lost. And that destroyed them, and they came home and couldn't overcome it. That next game was two days later, and they just, they just couldn't you know, put that other one out of their minds. And then, of course, this year's collapse against Houston. But I thought, like most people, when they beat San Antonio – and did the unthinkable, which was win game four in San Antonio, win game six, an elimination game in San Antonio, and then go back home and win game seven, where they played phenomenal, and Chris makes a game winner, and Blake Griffin has Elgin Baylor-like numbers in that first series, like 25 and 14 and eight assists. He was ridiculous. I mean, everyone in our organization and out west thought, these guys have done it. This is the year. They're past the burdens. They just beat Goliath, who was their nemesis, the smart veteran team that had the great coach, and they, and they, they outdueled them in a masterful duel. 
only to succumb the same way to Houston. Up 3-1 and even up 3-2 and up 19 in the third quarter at home and let it slip late in the third and let it slip. They started that fourth quarter up 13 and let it slip. Remember, James Harden didn't even play with about 16 minutes to go. I think he went in for some final free throws. That was debilitating. It was it destroyed their confidence again. So can they? They're knocking on the door. Uh, they now have all the tools. The one thing I did not think they had, Larry, was enough length to beat the best teams in the West, like Chris Paul is short. Blake Griffin has short arms. J.J. Redick is short with short arms. You know, they don't have length. And all the teams the last three, four years in the West who make the finals are teams with great length at their wing positions. San Antonio with Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard, they had length, not to mention Duncan's length, but Golden State had four wing defenders this last year, versatile six seven to six eight guys if you throw Clay Thompson in with Igadala and Barnes and Draymond Green. Length, Oklahoma City, three years prior, gets to the finals. Length. And I just kept looking at our guys, and I'm like, we're not long enough. We're not. They throw long defenders on our shooters, and it causes us fits. Well, now we got some length. Josh Smith gives you length. Wes Johnson gives you length. Paul Pierce, even though he's at the end, is not a short, short-armed shooter. He's kind of a long, silky, smooth scorer who can still get his shot off. So all of a sudden, we got a little bit of length and depth to go with the foundation. And I only mean length on the wing. Obviously, I realize DeAndre Jordan is as long as they come. But I didn't know. I would be the first one to tell you, I don't know if we're long enough to win a title. But now, I'm saying deep enough, long enough, can we do it? And the question is, you got to incredibly confident Golden State team now, which is going to be tough to beat, and San Antonio that just looks like they're not only empowered, but they've bolstered you know, themselves with Aldrich and David West to be tough as nails. It's going to be one heck of a fight. It's always been sort of a, a mental thing. You mentioned that with the Clippers now, at least for the past three years. You talk about adding Pierce. He has to at least contribute to that. You know, to the, the what's the word I'm looking for? Not just you know the mental aspect of the team, but the intangible process of the team, as he did with Washington last year. He was the only guy making any baskets for them when it mattered in the fourth quarter. I mean, you have to think Pierce is going to aid that cause for LA. I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, even though, you know, he's winding down how, how many big shots did he take and make and just the threat of having him out there will provide opportunities and take a little pressure off Chris and JJ and, and Blake and in those moments at the end of games when you kind of know where the ball's going. This is another guy that they have to guard and respect. And I think Paul's crazy confidence uh, will be great for them. Chris is confident. Chris Paul's confident in a different way. Not like, give me the ball. I'm going to make the shot kind of guy. It's just, you know, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to turn the ball over. You can throw the ball to him. You trust where that ball is going to go. Once it gets to him, it's a different kind of confidence. But Paul is just one of those gutsy, you know, I can do this regardless you know, being 37 or 38. And so 
he's going to be good for the guys. And of course, the the existing relationship with Doc will help. Doc won't overuse or Paul Pierce during the regular season. I'm sure he'll probably start him, but he'll probably play 20 minutes a night and then ramp up for the playoffs. Yeah, one of the things that I noticed too, and I mean I hate mentioning this with Doc is. I mean, you were talking about you know the mental aspect of the Clippers. I personally didn't think those Celtics teams, when Doc was coaching, I didn't think they were good at closing games. They were good that championship year. To an extent, they struggled in the playoffs, particularly early on. Pierce is very good, but we all know there was a lot of Paul Pierce isolation plays. Do you think that there's anything to this regarding Doc Rivers in terms of you know be, having teams that do struggle to put the foot on other teams next being because the Celtics blew a couple series when he was coaching the magic. If you want to go way back, they had a three, one lead against Detroit one year. They never really did anything in the postseason. We know of some of the recent failures of the Clippers. Can you attribute any of that to doc rivers or am I reaching in that ass right there? Oh, I don't know. Um, I'd have to go back and look and watch those games. And since I wasn't broadcasting those games, I wasn't maybe watching them as intimately as I might have. Uh, I do know they had a home game uh, against Cleveland and LeBron, where LeBron in a game six went nuts, right, and had like a 45-point game. That was just like ridiculous. He was ever drunk, sadly, so I barely remember that night. (laughs) I I just remember waking up the next day with like this terrible feeling in my stomach. Because I, and it was like, oh, they lost that game last night. That's how I knew that they blew that game. But yeah, they they beat Miami in a game five. I, I mean, I know they were vastly inferior talent-wise that Miami team, but everybody thought that the Celtics were going to win that six game at home. Came out. I mean, I know LeBron went nuts, but they laid an egg. The Celtics just did not show up. They had the three-two yeah. lead in the Lakers. They had a three-two lead on Orlando. They couldn't. They actually the funniest stat I remember that oh nine Orlando series was. Oh, the Celtics will win because there's something like 35 and 0 when the team takes a 3-2 lead in a, in a series. They've never lost a series when they've had a 3-2 lead. And then I think in 2009, 2010 and 2012, the Celtics blew 3-2 series leads in all of them. <laughs> That's what we get for coming up with those stats. I know. Those things happen. But no, I I think Doc's, I mean, Doc's a great leader. Doc is in the top echelon of coaches I mean one of only what four in our league maybe five now with Steve Kerr to currently have won a title um, you, you, you oftentimes can't control what the other great players do I think one of those Orlando games Turkaloo went crazy uh, you know against the Laker teams that you're talking about in 9-10 or whatever when they didn't get there or didn't win at all you're going against Kobe and Gasol you're going against two Hall of Famers who Shut you know, have, have enough fortitude that sometimes they make it happen regardless of what you do. And there's just so much of that. There's such a fine line. The game of golf is like that, too. I mean, it's a game of inches. Um, oh, I would God, know. You, could, we would all know. you would know for sure. So you would know and I would know. You have days. The difference between a bad read, you have no idea what you're talking about. Don't ever speak to me again. Or, you know, you're unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I'm sure you keep you. You don't give any of that, right? No, but I uh, we don't have caddies at my course, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I do, and it, sports is so like that. I, I was just watching the Wimbledon final, 
and watch Federer breeze through all the rounds to get to the finals, and he comes up against Djokovic, who's had his number of late, and Federer, who served his way through the championship. Bestie served in four years, and it was proven statistically. He talked about it, and sure enough, in the moments when he needed first serves in, like point one of the first set tiebreaker, point one of game one of the first, second set tiebreaker, same thing. He didn't double fault, but he went to second serves and allowed, you know, it, it, it failed him by an inch, by two inches. And people, you know, look at the whole match and say, oh, Djokovic won three sets to one. It was never close. And I beg to differ. When I watch sports live and watch what really happens and watch how close it could have gone another way, I'm like, oh, my gosh. If he had gotten that serve in and started a tiebreaker up 1-0 instead of down one, or you know, just there's so many little things. Golf is the greatest example because the difference of making a putt and missing a putt is huge. As the Pacino speech says, life is a game of inches. And you talk to, you know, if one thing goes, you know, one way, you look at it from sort of a singular standpoint. But in reality, that can, you know, have a domino effect on the rest of the game and the rest of everything. Obviously, too, yeah, golf. I mean, like, you can come up one yard short with a club. It rolls all the way down the hill and everything. Same thing, basketball. If, you know, one sometimes one free throw, one foul being called just sort of changes the complexion of an entire game. I mean, if there was... Here's- Here's the best example of that. LeBron James, okay, is one offensive rebound by Chris Bosh and a miraculous three by Ray Allen from being labeled the biggest choker in all of basketball. He's one play. And on the other end of that great rebound by Bosh and a kick out to Ray who's immaculate and incredible preparation getting to the arena at three o'clock four hours before the game and rehearsing shots and knowing where his feet should be allowed him to make that shot on the other end seconds before is Ginobili going one for two and Kawhi Leonard going one for two so how differently Ginobili one too because they were up like five I said like, Ginobili. I know, but people like you mentioned. Oh, they forget like, about it. You're right. Everyone remembers Kawhi because it was later. Leonard, but people forget about Ginobili because at the time they were up five and he missed it out. It doesn't matter. The game's over. And, and so LeBron's now two for six in the finals, right? Yeah. So if, if that doesn't happen or any one of those things by inches changes, LeBron is all of a sudden one for six in the finals and his only win is over the first-time final participant, Oklahoma City. And in my opinion, he becomes our modern-day Elgin Baylor, the greatest physical talent who can't close the deal. And it and, would have been a big deal mentally on him. I mean, you know, well, he, you know, he got those two championships back-to-back, particularly with how well he played in Game 7 against San Antonio. He had a great game, like 36, 37 points. So that's like, oh, LeBron's this great big-time player. He had that Game 7 against San Antonio. There was a game he had against Detroit way back. Obviously, those Celtics games as well. But you're right. I mean, if that doesn't happen, he's one for he's one out of five, and he's constantly living that day after day after day after day. And that Absolutely. would be I mean, catastrophic mentally, in my opinion. Absolutely. It would, it would define him to this day. Uh, there would be Kobe with five titles. There would be, you know— the Spurs with another title. The Spurs would have six. 
how, how would we then think of Duncan? We might call Duncan the greatest of the last 30 years. Yeah. But then you can even say, you know, who knows if the Spurs come back as hungry in 2014 if they got that 13 championship because clearly their failure in 13 was like that drove their championship the next year. I mean, maybe, maybe for sure they did. Hey, for sure. But one one shot. <laughs> it is. One one really quick question before we go. Yeah. Not really not quick, but I tell you, I mean, it seems for whatever reason. The Clippers seem to get, uh, the, obviously now with this DeAndre Jordan situation and how it went down, they probably seem to get the most ire from opposing teams, fans, even media. It's almost like they're the Duke of the NBA without winning the champion, you know, winning a championship yet. Uh, I mean, is, do you think that it, is there anything really to that in, in terms of, you know, or do that just, you know, you just sort of put that aside and say, hey, you know, it's just people that are upset. I think they're one of the most unlike teams. I do. Now, their fan base has grown all over the country, so we have Clipper fans who show up in every arena. But for whatever reason, what you're talking about is real. I sense it. I see it. Uh, I get it on my Twitter account, you know. Um, If I make any sort of a praising comment about a Clipper, uh, people are just clamoring back and forth. (laughs) saying, you know, what about this, what about this, what about this? He doesn't deserve it yet. He hasn't done it. I mean, they're really – I think part of it is uh, – I really – I think it's threefold, maybe fourfold. Number one, their terrible history and the owner who was all part of that history. Okay, so that's at the foundation of all this. Not likable, that owner, and their history spoke for itself. Um, the next was their comportment during Blake Griffin's first two years, uh, and combine it with the fact that he's humiliating people with dunks and people didn't like that. Players didn't like that. Opposing fans didn't like that. But what they didn't like more was the fact that they complained a lot. So Blake is young in the league and DJ's young in the league and they're not getting calls and they're complaining and they're whining, and it was a big part of their on-court demeanor, and it was, I hated it. I hated having to broadcast it because of like, God, they're crying over every call. They needed to shut up and play. And then the final thing is they still haven't been past the second round, yet Chris Paul and Blake Griffin are two of the most marketed athletes in the country. And so I think there's a little bit of that jealousy factor from other players, like, what the heck? You know, they haven't done anything. They haven't done anything. They're just in L.A. They haven't done anything. Yeah, he's a good dunker, and he's an all-league performer. And, yeah, Chris is, you know, one of the four best point guards in the game. And But he hasn't done anything. And so when they're on national ads everywhere, you know, until Steph Curry's taken over the world this year. But, I mean, I think that's a part of it, too. So it, that won't stop. Plus, they're winning now, so you know people love to root against a winner. Well, the, the good thing is, if if you makes you feel any better, you, they have a long way to go before they reach New England Patriots territory, I guess, in terms of really getting teams or other opposing team, anyone, not even football fans, ticked off uh, regarding them. But Michael Smith. Great chat me once again. Now entering your 18th year, I believe, at Fox Sports in the prime. 
Larry, let me close with this because Tom Brady's my favorite football player. Okay, and I'm a former quarterback in high school, and I broke every record in California as a high school quarterback. You know what I did before every ball game? Deflated the football. I deflated or inflated the ball to my liking every football, and we had three which were designated for the offense. There were two that were designated to the kicking game, and the three were marked A, B, and C, or one, two, and three. I had all three balls exactly the same, and I will tell you this, they were not inflated to a maximum or inflated to a certain number. They were <laughs> they were prepared by me and then given to the ball boy to my liking. And I don't have big hands. I got small hands. So, I mean, I don't know. When I watch this whole thing and such a big deal being made out of it, I'm like, who cares? Every quarterback's probably done that their whole life, high school, college. I mean, who, who doesn't want to throw a ball the way it is? But whatever. I'm sure the balls were prepared for the Super Bowl, and he got that done, too. I think the guy's a genius. Nobody could have done what he did in the world last year. And I'm talking about being down two touchdowns to the Ravens twice and came back to win that game and being down like he was in the Super Bowl and came back to win that game. Nobody in the world could do what he did. Well, suffice to say we were talking about how you know, there's only three weeks where there's no NBA talk. I'm pretty sure once this Brady ruling comes out, that will cover that, you know, landscape. <laughs> For sure. Maybe that's getting enough. So, and the NBA season's here. Oh, all right. But, Mike, great chatting you once again. Look forward to talking to you during the season. And uh, keep killing up on the links, man. I'll try. I just want to I just wanna hit like Jordan Spieth. I've been putting left-hand low ever since I watched him win the Masters, and I'm telling you what, I haven't missed a five-footer in six weeks. He's the man. All right. You are for coming on this show, Mike. Thanks once again. Michael Smith, everybody on Celtics Beat. We'll be back in a few moments. This is Larry H. Russell back here again, and let me tell you a little something about me. I'm always reading a book, or three, be it a revolutionary breakthrough on neuroscience such as Daniel Kamen's Thinking Fast and Slow, or even a philosophical masterpiece like Plato's The Republic, I'm always doing whatever means to soak up as much knowledge as I can about the world we live in. And we can't do that without literature. But not everyone finds it convenient to carry around all six volumes of the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire with them. But there's a solution. My good friends over at Audible. Audible is a leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. You don't need to be all alone creating that impossible private time with our everyday lives of chaos to do some reading and relaxing. Audiobooks are great to listen to wherever. Be it in the gym, doing chores at work or around the house, driving, riding, shopping, whatever. Audiobooks are the remedy for you. And Celtics Beat and Audible are teaming up to offer you your first audiobook for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Around the NBA in five today is brought to you by, as usual, AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. A consumer should know where their food comes from and the standards that should be adhered to. And American Farmers Network's meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. Their production standards go above and beyond even USDA regulations, and all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed. From poultry to pork and, of course, beef, 
AFN's Family Ranchers are committed to providing you and your family with the healthiest, most nutritious meat so you can live the healthy lifestyle in which you have a right to. So what are you waiting for? Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and eat and live healthy today. Well, while we're on the DeAndre Jordan discussion, or also go right back there, J.J. Barea initially signed a two-year, $5.7 million deal with Dallas. Instead, with the open space now, he gets a four-year, $16 million contract. God, every time I hear the success of my friends, how so-and-so I went to high school with is making this and trading that and doing venture capital. Boy, what have I done with my life? J.J. Barea, I remember partying with this kid a few times at Northeastern, which seems like not too long ago. Now it's actually 10 years ago, but now he's a multimillionaire. Second big contract he's gotten in his career, NBA champion, and he's earned it. Been one of the most efficient spark plugs in the league since the turn of the decade. And Dallas, in his initial go-around, they did a great job identifying him. They've always had great success finding these players, be it Adrian Griffin, who wasn't too long from a head coaching position, that center, Ian Mahaney, I think he's bouncing around the league. He helped out Dallas a few years ago. That's a testament to their scouting department over the years. But after a go-around with the Wolves, he cashed in following their championship in 2011. Got a nice deal, played okay. Now he's back in Dallas, filled in for Rondo admirably. Of course, that isn't saying much. But he's been one of the best backup point guards. Gives you what he gives you when he can start a pinch. Well-deserved and actually a good move by the Mavs. So happy to see Berea benefit due to that very unfortunate situation there with Jordan. We will stay on some local talent. Matt Bonner, boy, did he carve himself out a nice career. Some reports out there, he got a contract offer from the Sacramento Kings. But back with the San Antonio Spurs. What's he been there? Almost 10 years now. Serious question. After Tim Duncan and David Robinson, is he like Mr. Spur? Of course, that is a bit of a facetious question, but... All the Spurs role players over the years, and the Spurs have come to embody with the 90s Yankees and the 2000 Patriots, were, were as much as they, those teams were known for Derek Jeter and Tom Brady, they were equally known for their Scott Brocious, Tino Martinez, Rodney Harrison's, you know. I feel that's like what the Spurs have been known for over the last 15 years, and it feels like Bonner is the epitome of that. We talk about certain players in the Celtics carving out roles and contributing to a team identity. Well, Matt Bonner has done his share of carving out roles and contributing towards teams identity and the collective i tell you remember him in florida and he was thoroughly surprised how effective he was when he got in the nba up there in toronto and then he signed with the spurs after he spent some time with the rappers and why did the rappers ever let him go particularly with how popular he was up there when they were calling him the red rocket and everything he was now the classic spur you knew he was going to work out in san antonio and suffice to say he certainly has been everything they asked for of him when they first brought him on eons ago Okay, the Ty Lawson thing, second arrest now in the last 12 months or whatever it is that is alcohol-related. Tell you what, I'd still roll the dice on him. I don't even consider it a roll the dice. Anyways, if I was a team looking for a point guard, and from a value standpoint, you couldn't get him any cheaper than he is right now. Alcohol, I know people like Vin Baker and other AA types blow it way out of proportion. It's not an issue to kick in my eyes, and it isn't if it's holding him back as it did to players like Baker. So if he's out there and can be acquired for pennies on the dollar, which would be the case due to Denver's point guard situation, man, if I'm a team, I run with it. He's been as steady and as a constant at that position for the last five years as anyone not named Westbrook or Paul. And on paper, his only issue, if it is an issue, and I don't think it is, I think it's a media creation largely due to that Mark Spears story, which wasn't much of a story in my eyes because it was something that just bumped into Vin Baker somewhere at Summer League now that he's a Bucks assistant coach and asked for a few words on a guy who's you know the poster child for drinking himself out of the league and it's made a bigger issue than it is because it fits a narrative 
But come on, if I'm a team and I can get Ty Lawson for a couple of baseball cards, I'd do it. These are infractions. It's not catastrophic occurrences. I'd even be willing to live with it if I'm a team. But I don't think that'd be the case because it's probably something you can or Ty Lawson can that he can rectify himself. Okay, lastly, John Wall, absolutely furious that he's being paid virtually the same amount of money as Reggie Jackson. Okay, listen, the NBA CBA is far from perfect, particularly when it comes to max contracts. That's why I hate it when I hear so-and-so is not a max player because we have this perception that someone isn't LeBron James, that they're not a max player. Obviously, the audience knows where I felt regarding Greg Monroe and giving him a max deal. But anyways, back on point here. Reggie Jackson, of all people, to point to John Wall. Yes, John Wall, if you are listening, which I doubt you are, but it would be cool if you did. John, you are a better player than Reggie Jackson, but it isn't a substantial gap. Both have very similar numbers, very efficiency-wise, and in Jackson's instance, is actually a wee bit younger, so I don't see the reason for uproar. Can you find a better example? Because I like to think that's the case, rather than comparing yourself and trying to make a point about salary injustices by pointing to an example that is quite similar to you. But that's the world we live in. It doesn't make sense, and people themselves make even less sense. And that's the case here. And that is going to do it for this week's edition of Around the NBA in 5, being presented by American Farmers Network. They have healthy, certified, organic, grass-fed meats, which come from small family farms and ranches, what was once the backbone of our great country for many, many years. You know, every day, constantly, constantly sending our money to the mega corporations, the small family farmers, They care a little more about their food than the mega companies do. And this meat is produced on such small family farms who care about their animals, which in turn makes them care about us. So it's definitely one thing that you'd love to give back to and eat right. And that's at AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. And that's something I'm going to do right now because I got a filet in the oven from AFN because that is it. That's going to do it. For this week's edition of Celtics Beat, music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Hydro 9, Astrovex, and Steph Legato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. We'd love to thank our guest, Michael Smith. Great to chat with Mike once again on the show, as well as our sponsors, Linda, Audible, Casper, Dr. Ron's. DraftKings and American Farmers Network for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Andy Santiago, program director, Jelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I am Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday with another edition of Celtics Beat, heard exclusively on CLNS Radio. <laughs>